Friends, country folk, lend me your ears or ear if you just have one of them. This is Jaime Alejandro, and I want to welcome you to the Arts Calling Podcast, the podcast where I interview hardworking, independent creatives who are doing amazing work in the literary, visual, and performing arts. We have a wonderful conversation lined up today. It's going to be a really, really good time. But before I get to it, I just want to air some grievances, give you some updates, and give a shout out because that's always uh, really, really fun. Now, before I get the ball rolling, if you have any complaints against me or if you want to insult my character or give me a compliment on how the show's doing or if there's questions that I should be asking, go ahead and shoot me an email at artscallingpodcast at gmail.com. That is the brand spanking new email address for the podcast. So please feel free to check that out and let me know how you're doing or if you're working on something cool. Previous guests welcome so that I can give you a shout out before the episode. That would be really cool as well. As you can tell, I've had my coffee and I am very giggly right now for some reason, but one shout out real quick and I will introduce my guest. I hope that you folks have a chance to go check out a YouTube interview series called A Word with Kelly Scott Reed, who is a friend of the Twitter community and a friend of the show over at Roy Fanian Press. And she interviews much like Arts Calling, they do uh, wonderful in-depth interviews with people who are releasing their work and, uh, and leaving their mark on independent publishing. Great stuff, and uh, I just love Kelly's interview style. So I hope that if you check out Arts Calling, you'll also go check out A Word with Kelly Scott Reed. I'll make sure to give a shout out in the episode description as well so you folks can check out her work. Well done, Kelly. You're killing it over there, and so is the press. With that said, I'd like to take a moment to introduce our guest today. I am thrilled to be Arts Calling, Anna Dixon-James. And a little bit about Anna. Anna earned her MFA in Creative Writing from Queen's University of Charlotte, North Carolina, and teaches English at Garrett College in Deep Creek, Maryland. Her work has appeared in Anthology of Appalachian Writers. She was a two-time finalist for the West Virginia Fiction Prize and has won numerous awards from West Virginia Writers Incorporated. Writing these stories helped her understand a time in her life when she gave up much of her personal power, and the compilation of this collection was an avenue for helping her to reclaim it. And I got to say, this was such a blast to talk to Anna, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Her latest short story collection, Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down, is now available from Whiskey Tit Publishing. They're doing amazing work over there. Really bold, weird stuff, and I really dig their approach. And so I think I've said enough, so let's give her a call. Hello, anybody there? Hello. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I needed to click a button to get in. I've never used Google. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for trying to work with me on this uh, this weird technology. It just works so easy because it's integrated with Google and everything. And they own mm -hmm. my soul already. So I, I, you know, I said, <laughs> you know, I just... It's fine. Just do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Not a problem at all. Can you tell me where you where are you these days? I am in Pennsylvania right now. So I live in the southwestern part of Pennsylvania and I teach at Garrett College in Maryland. Okay, wonderful. Has that been your uh, your home site for a while? 
I've been here about six years. Prior to that, I was in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. Okay. So was West Virginia home or where was home originally for you? Like when you were younger, where'd you grow up? Yeah, everywhere was home for me. So I was born in Arizona. I was raised in Pittsburgh. I spent most of my adult life in Philly, some time in Seattle, some time in Delaware, some time in Charleston. And now here's where I'm here's where I'm at currently. So so home is a, is a deconstruction, right? It's neither here nor there. You're kind of OK, uh, you know, kind of where the wind takes you in some respects. Home is where the people you love are. Lovely. Oh, Lovely. that's corny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. I actually, I think there's good mantras in corny. But uh, before we get to talking about "Boys by Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down," which is a phenomenal title, I just, I love, I love all these titles that you have in here. And I got to give you a shout out here. The collection is is phenomenal and such a such a raw exploration of of so many things. I, I felt such vulnerability and such openness, but. The, the characters are so damn good and so much, such a delight to read. So I want to commend you for that because I had a really wonderful time reading this. Um, but before we get to it, before we get to the, to the collection, I, uh, I'd like to check in with you on, on how you find writing and how you make your way to the craft. Yeah, so I write because, I mean, I, I, pardon me again for being corny. Because I really feel like I don't have a choice whether or not to do it. So it's a way that I unknot the knots that are in my brain and in my heart. And so if I go too long without doing it, I feel myself coiling and coiling. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really feel like much of a choice for me. And it also feels good to me. So mm -hmm. those two things lead me there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember you had mentioned in a podcast that or maybe an article or something that you have been writing for as long as you can remember. And I'm sure that there's mm -hmm. a lot of stop and go along the way. But when you first started, do you remember what kinds of things you were writing or what kind of mediums were you exploring in the beginning? Yeah, I was writing horror because that is just what my brother wrote and I loved my brother and I wanted to be just like him. So I was writing these adorable little horror stories as a kid. And then I was also emulating A Tree Grows in Brooklyn as much as I could because that was the first book that really led me to feel big emotions, like really, really big emotions. And I wanted to do that. I, I wanted to do that for other people. Can I ask you about big emotions? What were those big emotions or what were those things that, that you felt like maybe were beyond you at one point? Well, I grew up poor, you know, I grew up poor. And so I really related to Francie and the struggles related to that. Her father was an alcoholic. And so I had that in common as well. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciated how that character was on the page and surviving and growing. I mean, the whole thing, the tree is coming up out of the cement. And so I really wanted to, I don't know, write this kind of hopeful stuff in the midst of things that were challenging for me. Yeah. And it seems like there was a seed of something that you have done really successfully in the collection. And again, I don't want to jump to it, but but I'm, I'm kind of like chomping at the bit because I think when you mention those little bits of hope when there is such brutality in in the world or perhaps growing up or really difficult things 
such as the ones that you explore in the collection, like there's a little glimmer, there's a little something there that keeps you going. And it's, it's so, uh, it's so empowering, I think in, in the writing, but as, as we go into your creative journey, you, you're an educator as well. And so how does that fit into your life? How do you, uh, how do you find that education is something that will be a good fit for you or pursue that? Well, I'm a natural teacher, so I love to help people explore and come to their full potential. And I also teach writing, so I help them to express themselves. You know, a lot of times people have ideas up in their head, and something happens when it try to, tries to travel down the <laughs> arm onto the screen, like something gets gummed up. Yeah. And so I love my job of helping students to be able to to express themselves and to really understand themselves through writing. Yeah. So was this something like you were in like high school or something and said, I'm going to be a teacher and that's the the thing and I'm going to stick to it? Or was there a, a journey of discovery where you maybe tried one thing or something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do or be. I knew that when I went to college, I adored my professors and I wanted to be just like them. Mm. But coming from the background I came from, I thought professors were highfalutin people and I would never Mm. get to be a professor. And I know that sounds strange to say like, I can't attain being a professor, but I really uh, didn't think that that was even possible for me. So to be living my dream job now is wonderful. Yeah. That's a delightful thing to hear because I feel like, you know, coming from a similar background, uh, from what you've shared, I feel like there is an invisible ceiling of some kind, especially when you're Mm -hmm. from a place of, of poverty or, or little Mm -hmm. means you feel like there is, there is only so far where you can go. Kind of like the hobbits where they say, this is the farthest I've ever been from home. And this is as far as I'm going to go. You know, there's nothing really else that, that is within the purview of my possibility and it's great to see you know and so i think it's a, it's a great model but why is that why why is there just kind of like an invisible veil that prevents some folks from feeling no that particular dream is is off limits what happens there you know i think it's different for every person but there's something about the world that tells you you can't do it and i think it, even if they don't even if the world doesn't explicitly say at least in my generation I, it might be different for kids now you know they're told you can be or do anything <laughs> and so i think it's different now yeah, than it was yeah. when i was you know when i was going to school but i do think that we also live up to our limits that we're surrounded by you know we only can see what we can see and we can only see what the example is for us like neither of my parents went to college and so you know, it's, that seemed like a dream that was very, very far away. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And as an educator, how do you feel that makes its way into the way that you interact with, uh, with your students or the way that you pass on certain, uh, bits of insight to them? Is that something that is, that is more intellectual than, than not? I mean, do you feel like it, it's an affliction that is still there or is it, is it just something that's, uh, not really in the, uh, I guess in the framework of how, how you go about educating? Well, first of all, I, t- I tell my story in the classroom. I'm very, very connected to my students. And so I tell them where I came from just so they know they can go anywhere that they want to go. Um, I think the challenge that I see with students today is they don't understand. They, I, I think they think you're either born with it or you're not. 
I don't think that they understand how to be disappointed, how to fail, how to, you know, get knocked down and keep coming back up. So one of the things I teach all the time is let me model how to make mistakes for you because I just do, I make a lot of mistakes. And so I tell them, you know, you're gonna suck at writing. So this first essay, you're gonna suck. It is not gonna be good. But if you if you apply yourself, here are the things you need to do to get better. It's teaching growth mindset. Yeah, yeah. That is such a fascinating uh, situation that we have going on because the more you think about it, yes, these younger generations are used to having a curated feed of of everything of their of their life, and at the same time, it's like we're robbing them of the opportunity to really be themselves through the f-ups right the fuck-ups it's my podcast yeah. I'll, I'll say whatever i'm sorry uh the mistakes i've got a potty mouth you've read my book <laughs> yeah. yeah but it but it fits right it just makes perfect sense in your work and you know what i'm just i'm so ready to talk about this collection that i'm just gonna start babbling on about it even though i have all kinds of other questions about life and and parenting and all kinds of stuff but Let's talk about Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down, which is, uh, again, as I said, such a delight to read. I felt like there was, there was a, this, this wounded howl. There, there was a lot of primal intensity there. There was conversation about, about sexuality, about the logistics of the, the emotional burden of, of just being around as a, as a human being, and primarily a woman in this modern climate, but, but also just as a human being, there's a lot of heartbreak, but types of liberations and redemptions throughout every story. And I'm just, I, I keep just gushing about this, uh, this work, but can you tell me in terms of backing up to the genesis of this collection, can you put me in the moment when you first started seeing the potential of a work like this? Obviously you've been writing and working on these stories for a long time, but when did you look at what you had and identify that this is something that could live together? I think that it's all very closely related. So even though, you know, Rebound is different from uh, Sommelier Mort Vivant, you know, even though the stories are so different, I think the theme of, you know, sticking it out, you know, coming through difficult times. I think all of that was present. Like the themes are kind of the same, but really it came down to, I had a friend, he asked me from my MFA, David Scott Hay, who's an amazing writer himself. Mm -hmm. He, he asked me if I was still writing. I said, yes, I was sending him the stories and he said, this would make a great collection. So really it was somebody outside of me who Mm. inspired me to put them all together. Oh, that's, it's amazing. And I, I had the pleasure of talking with David Scott Hay a few weeks ago. And what an oh, awesome dude. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him and we got connected through Whiskey Tit, which is a, a an amazing home for really wonderful work, your publisher. And what a cool guy, really inspiring and really willing to kind of get you to the place where you need to be, it seems. So what a blessing. I mean, it's great to know people like that from MFA. He's amazing. We we call it we call ourselves foxhole buddies. Aww. He's a gem. <laughs> so, what were the kind of anchors that you were seeing there? Because uh, obviously, as you're mentioning, there is a lot of running through lines, and uh, I think the thing that I appreciated most that kind of ran through a lot of them was this undercurrent of of a tension of of a building. Um, there was anxiety. There's anxiety building through these pieces, but I think it, it sort of 
adds up to a restlessness in the expectation of what a woman should be and the things they relinquish, mm-hmm. right? Can you sort of sort of guide me there <laughs> in how you arrive at that, or if we could talk about that a little bit more? Well, I think this fictional collection is on paper me finding myself through these fictional characters. And so pretty much, I mean, you can look at any story and you can see me developing like a Polaroid picture. So you can look at, you can read Rebound and you can see me working through today's beauty culture, having filters on everything, you know, extreme plastic surgery measures, you know, things like that. So you can see me working through that issue. You can see me working through, you know, this phase in my life when I was drinking too much. You can see me doing that and you can see me working through that in the easy chair, uh-huh. you know, working through addiction, that sort of thing. Right. I, I got to say, you know, while we're talking about, you know, something like rebound or, or uh, even uh, I think sommelier is the best example of that. It's so brutal. It's so good. And genre plays a huge part in those. And I'm curious how, in your writing of these pieces, how genre makes its way in. Is it the first impulse that you have when you're writing some of these pieces? Or is it something that comes later as metaphor? It here. So this is a challenge for me to answer because I do believe my subconscious is writing these stories. And then when I look back, I say, oh, well, this is about <laughs> my the end of my marriage, right? Yeah. Or, you know, and I and I think that I really had a fascination with stories that were, with reading, my own reading, stories that were quirky, a little bit different, a little bit, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to write a literary zombie story, or I'm going to write about an easy chair that comes to life, you know, so I kind of like that surreal whatever. And so I was very deliberate about trying to incorporate those elements because they're freaking fun. And I know that my themes can be dark and I also wanted to have fun with it. Yeah. There's a, there's a great balance. And I think that's what you do so successfully in these pieces is there is such levity, but then it turns, it turns immediately and it gives you that surprise, that gut punch that is, that is so, uh, so incredible. Like uh, I go back to sommelier or the easy chair being being another one that is that is just out of control. It's wonderful, <laughs> but it but you feel so intensely, and the the character motivations are they're they're driven, they're driven, and they're also emotional ones. And I think that one of the things that I found that you did really well with all of these characters is how true and honest they all felt in the moment and you could all you could understand the rationale behind a lot of these gruesome horrific things that were unfolding and uh and i was just really taken with that but could you give me an example of one of these stories and how they how they came to be like if say we could pick one of these from the bunch and and uh you're very generous with the amount of stories that you gave us so that's another plus about this collection (laughs) which i love the range is spectacular but if you could single out a story that that gave you the most trouble in assembling or, or workshopping or working through, do you, did you have one of those experiences with any of these? Um, yeah. I mean, some of them I really wrestled and pummeled to the ground and some of them were very, very challenging. Um, 
I'll start with some uh, sommelier. That that actually started with that started with a line or this idea about zombies, and I wrote it down on a post-it, and it sat in my office right in front of my computer for uh, two years. Mm. And it was this idea that, mm, you know, brains we're the intellectualism in America is dying out. Intellectual rigor is dying out. And so if zombies eat brains. They're starving as well because they have no real food to eat. <laughs> and so I held on to that and I held on to that. And so I went to write a story about the intellectual decline in America. And I don't know what the hell happened, but it became about the end of my marriage. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Like I said, I do think it's so much of it is subconscious. And so I start with an intention and who knows what what I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. end up with. And and so let, let's kind of dig into the subconscious aspect of it, because I, I love it. I think it, it's pure honesty with yourself, especially when you've gotten to the point in, in your writing career where. I imagine it's just like turning on the light switch or, or the mm-hmm. faucet turns on and then you, you continue to create content, but then you're sifting through to generate structure or form of some kind. Could you elaborate yeah. a little bit on that? Because I, I just think it's so, it's so difficult to do because again, the idea of expectation and perfectionism and things like that, how, how does one arrive at that place? Well, you get it all down on the page. And then you go back and you craft the hell out of it. You say, all right, your protagonist needs to want something urgently. So these are your ramblings about living on a hill in West Virginia and being away from family. But what does the protagonist want? And so then you just have to add that um, uh, zeros and ones at the Funky Festival. I I think that's what it's still called. Is it still called that? Yeah. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, So... If I'm trying to, you know, make my protagonist want something or something like I didn't have in there originally that the that she was exhausted, that all she wanted to do was sleep Mm -hmm. like that wasn't even in there when I did the first runaround. It was all just plot about what happens at that festival. And I was like, I need more tension. I need to ramp it up. And so I added that that's sheer 100 percent craft because I learned it. Somebody taught me it and then I practiced it. (laughs) And so it becomes a matter of, of work, right? Understanding Uh that this is just pure work and you gotta, you gotta get to the desk and, and get it done, which has to be uh, just a a beautiful thing to know that the process is completely demystified and now you just have yourself and your effort to contend with. And that, that's gotta be a phenomenal feeling. So, I mean, speaking of, uh, of that story, there was, there was a horrific line in that. I don't know how you do this, but there's, there's, you know, a a very approachable situation. And then there's like a little jab, there's a little something that happens. And I, I kind of don't want to give it away though, but there's the moment with the little boy and she says Mm -hmm. something about that little boy that is haunting and, and so on point, uh, that I, I just almost don't think if we should completely (laughs) divulge it because it's, it's heartbreaking. So I'm curious when you know, because I, I, I guess the question is about censorship, self-censorship. And when do you do you stop or when do you say this is not helping it's, it become shock or, or how do you tether to the reality of the story? Okay, so <laughs> I think with that story, I, that happened to me. That was a real thing that happened. And I was like, I need to write this. And that was exactly how I felt about what happened. Yeah. 
And I felt like I need to get it on the page. And if you don't like it, I can't help that. Like some things are craft. Like don't don't put out shitty stories. But I'm not going to put out stories that aren't for me. And I've had, you know, I had a very, I, I went to an amazing MFA program. One of my thesis advisors, incredibly celebrated, amazing author. And she read um, Mercer and the Cannibal. Mm. And, and she said about that piece, this is so gross that I would stop reading, except I am paid to continue. That's oh, what she God. said, which th that's okay. That's okay to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, she loved my other stories or whatever. And I thought to myself, this story is not for you. You have not really experienced an abusive relationship or you would understand you. These are the things that you would feel. And so this is about finding your audience. There are people that are going to love your work and there are people that aren't going to love your work. And so I wasn't going to change that story. Somebody told me that in sommelier, you know, the, the, a baby gets eaten. Mm -hmm. And somebody told me that was way too gross and not to do it. And I was, no, I had to do it. I couldn't take that out. And so while there may be, I don't censor what I put out there. It's up to the audience to decide how they feel about it. But I don't want to put out shit. That's the only thing I want to censor. Just putting out <laughs> And I love that you mentioned Somalia again, because the placement of that story right at the beginning, when that moment occurs in the story, it's early on and you know, it sets the tone for the entirety of the thing because it's raw, but it's on it. Honest. It's not going to bullshit you about what the collection is going to be, which I think is, is so successful. But coming back to MRSA, that one, that one, I, I sat with that story. And, and I took a minute because as a man, that's one of the most powerful things I've read about the behaviors of men, which I think is one of the, one of the through lines of this, of the story and how the manipulation occurs and how mm -hmm. troubling and devastating it can be, but to present it with, with such honesty and, and empathy for the female perspective, I, th I thought was just uh, one of the triumphs of the of the collection. So I got that's one that I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad she brought that one up because <laughs> yeah, I said like I put the I put the thing down. You know, I was reading on the on the tablet and I was like, what? Okay, I need I need a minute. It's so wonderful. I don't want to give these away. I think that's the thing because all of these have an element of of wonder and surprise and a punch at the end that I don't really want to divulge. But if we could speak generally about the collection. As you were working to uh, to put it together with with a publisher, and maybe we can talk about how you find Whiskey Tit, how you make that relationship work, and and what were the benefits of working with those guys? I had so much autonomy that it was amazing. I had autonomy. I created my cover. Like I, I found the artist to do my cover. I don't know if you saw it. It's oh, yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah. And you had the so. pin okay. I gotta say the piñata <laughs> makes an appearance. That's that's uh, probably my favorite story in here. I mean, all of them are, are just remarkable, but that one really sticks out for me. And we'll talk about that one here in a bit. But please tell me about the, the cover and how that one happened. And then we'll move on to the publisher. <laughs> so two, two of my favorite West Virginia artists, Brian Pickens and Eric Pardew, did a collaboration. I love them both. Eric did the artwork. That's the kind of things he does clip. You know, he does these collage with retro style pieces. And I, I've been a fan of his for years. And so when he said he would 
help me with this. I was just delighted and thrilled. And then Brian Pickens did his graphic design dust on the print and I couldn't be more delighted. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so you got to bring those guys aboard the project when you, when you got to Whiskey Tit and tell me about that a little bit more. Like, uh, how do you find the publisher? How do they find you? And, uh, and yeah, how, how it moves forward from there. Yeah. Again, David championed me to Whiskey Tit because he already had a book published through them. And so he went to Mia and he sent her a couple of my stories. She didn't even read the entire collection, but she read a couple stories and signed me on, which was an absolute thrill. And then she let me pick the collection. She let me organize it. I worked closely oh, wow. with David. Yeah, I worked closely with David. He was my, you know, he was like, you got to fix this. You got to do that. You can't do, you know, this title sucks, you know. So he did that kind of editing for me, which was a real gift. But beyond that, she trusts the artists and gives them autonomy. Mm -hmm. And you cannot beat that. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And she's smart and she knows, you know, amazing writing. So I feel really, really lucky to be housed with these other writers. Oh, I'm lucky. That's that's amazing. And so the book came out um, this summer or are we looking at? Yeah. 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 We had, so we had some printing. So um there were there was lots of flooding in oh. i think she's in vermont where she was at and so that put us behind but it's it's going to print right now and so it's going to be out at the end of the month oh okay wonderful yeah so what's the yeah. feeling what is the what is the kind of response that you're feeling now after completing it before i guess before we get to an audience you know uh just your personal feeling with the collection as it is now and and completing this after after so long i'm just kind of obsessed with that post high of completing it. so if you could if you could share that uh that feeling uh you know let, let us know what that that anticipation is so when it first went out i was not i was nauseated and sick because so much of me is on that page and i knew putting that out there was exposing myself and so it I mean, I was physically sick about it for, mm. I don't know. I don't know how long I was, but now I'm looking back on it and I'm thinking, I'm looking and I'm thinking how proud I am. I'm thinking how I've grown as a writer. I'm thinking about how I've grown as a person. So just having it out there feels so good. I thought I might die with these on a thumb drive and then my kids wouldn't even know it was on there and they'd throw it out and then it goes nowhere. But now there's this physical book that belongs, you know, someone's going to take it to Goodwill. Someone's going to see it at Goodwill later. Uh, and that's very <laughs> exciting to me. Oh man. And, and that is such a joy. I, you know, as a parent, I feel like I'm learning more and more with every guest that I talk to, especially, you know, the, the people who are parents themselves, what a precious gift it is to be able to say, this is the thing that I love doing. You don't have to love it, but the fact that this is happening, I mean, that, that's got to be such a, a tremendous feeling. So how do your kids feel about your writing? Not that they have to read everything or anything, but how do they feel about it? My kids are incredibly proud. And so they're very, very supportive. They, I don't know if they, they haven't read all of the stories and I don't think that they want to. They were like, I don't want to be triggered. <laughs> they have read the stories that I quoted them in, mm. which was, um, I'm so sorry. I'm forgetting the title of my own dang story. <laughs> you tell me squiggle. which one. I got the index here. You <laughs> <laughs> Circle squiggle free. Oh yeah. So they're, yeah. Quote, yeah, they're quoted in that and they don't come across looking very good. 
but they they're like, yeah, that was us. We're rascals, you know. So <laughs> they they love seeing themselves represented as well. Yeah, that that's a great sign of uh, of emotional uh, intelligence, though, is is understanding <laughs> where you're where you're coming short. So it sounds like you did a good job. But I I think what I love about this is, is that it's so singular in the way that that it's it's not it's not a complaint book. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think very easily you could fall into the territory of the female perspective being, why doesn't anybody listen to me? Why doesn't anybody do this or that? But there is there is extreme empathy at play here where even those who are who are in, in the periphery of your life, there's still humanity there. And, and of course, emanating from the, the central voices of the stories, like in, um, I guess, you know, Circle Squiggle Free is, is a really good one because it is dehumanized by that checklist of time right but um it's still very true and then and at the end you just want relief for for god's sake just just let the protagonist have relief and uh i i also felt that way about um i guess i'm just gonna give you my my two favorite ones here uh obviously the girl in the piñata was was just a, a lovely showcase of broken people wanting to wanting something and very easily you could have gone oh that guy's a piece of shit or this person is is a liar or an awful person but the way that you that you built and fostered that um that that was a really beautiful showcase of character so that one i i just thought was was remarkable the most powerful one in my opinion because i just have such religious hang-ups about catholicism and and a lot of the way i was brought up was the rapture of Anne marie abbott i i thought what a gem of a piece and how, I mean, I guess I want to ask you about faith because mm-hmm. it seems to be something that you have mentioned in, in previous podcasts and, and conversations. And for that story in particular, how, how does faith uh, evolve from how you saw it once and then, and then there were obviously perhaps personal raptures that may have occurred, not what's written down, yeah. of course, but how has that evolved for you? How has faith evolved for you, if I may ask? Well, I grew up in a pretty conservative Baptist church, you know, going to church camp and those sorts of things. And then I had a real heart conversion my freshman year of college. And then uh, I just sort of my, my spirituality developed and so it went from Christianity is the only way to quote unquote be saved to I believe there are many paths to God. I'm not even sure what God looks like. I think that there is this universal presence or being that I tap into, you know, occasionally, but I don't have this guilt, um, this this belief in original sin i don't mm-hmm. have that anymore yeah. and so i don't have that that really weighed me down quite a bit mm-hmm. and i don't have that anymore um in that particular piece i had tried on at one point there uh, is a spiritual i can't remember her name but she would talk about jesus as her lover like having a sexual relationship with jesus mm-hmm. and so i tried that on like i tried that on you know, a little bit to see where, how that would go, or it didn't quite work for me. It never quite stuck, but I, it came out in my writing. I mean, I put it in there with uh, Anne-Marie. Right, right. But I, I thank you so much for that, because as somebody who struggled with that on and off, mm-hmm. um, th- that story just resonated with me so much because the idea of guilt, the idea of shame, mm-hmm. and even though it, 
you know, we're speaking about it from a religious standpoint, um, as, uh, from, from, you know, a, a feminine perspective, you know, uh, that you've shared, that seems to be a huge aspect as well. The idea of shame, societal shame, expectation. Mm -hmm. And I think it really converges in that story in that you have these two huge barriers and I don't, I guess I shouldn't call them barriers, but, but the, the expectation of faith and femininity coming together in such a way was really devastating. But also, again, you find a way to, to mm -hmm. bring it back to a kind of, um, I don't want to say upbeat ending, but, but, <laughs> but I, love that ending. I love the ending. It's, that it's marvelous because you take, you take uh, spiritual conventions and, and really make them an internalized character development, a character resolution. Uh, and there is a peace, there is a relief. Uh, so that mm -hmm. one, uh, again, just wonderful, wonderful work there. Um, I, I got, only got a couple more questions to be mindful of your time, but, but this is phenomenal and I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, let's, let's talk for a minute about the title story, Boys Buy Me Drinks to Watch Me Fall Down. If you could um, share a, a bit about how that story came to be the the title of the collection, but also maybe the origins of that story. So again, that situation happened to me. So I pretty much wrote it almost, almost verbatim, mm. how it happened to me. And because the outcome was what it was, I didn't understand my negative emotions about it. I didn't understand, I don't know, how much do I say? How much do I say? Um, I didn't understand why I was still upset. And so I felt like, so I wrote through it. I was like, let me write this stuff down and see what I discover. And so then I realized that I felt, I, I felt set up. Mm. Yeah, maybe, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else to talk about it, except that yeah, I felt yeah. set up for him to be generous to me. And that pissed me off when I realized that. Mm, yeah. And now that you mentioned that, that is the cornerstone of, mm -hmm. of, of really what you're trying to articulate here. And, and it makes perfect sense because you feel like, why the hell should you be the one? Why should you be the one to, to set up the situation, to elevate the, the opposite sex, to elevate the person to mm -hmm. do their good deed, their good thing. And it is a dirty feeling. It is a, it is a, a heartbreaking feeling. Like why, why is it that we have to do this? And I'm, I'm just saying the protagonist, you know, uh, yeah. speaking that way. Um, but effective because it leaves you lingering and, and <laughs> that, that sort of feeling of, of personal, I guess, disappointment, you know, you're like, how could I do that? How could I do that? Yeah. Um, but it, it permeates through. And I think it just kind of casts the tone around the other stories as well. <laughs> but let's let's talk about the way that you uh, that you find the structure of the collection. Um, mm -hmm. What guides you the way that you put these together in, in the order? Uh, what helps you determine those the order of the stories? Yeah, I sought out friends and advice to really figure out how do you put together a collection? Like, how do you curate that mixtape where it has some kind of crescendo and then it kind of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I just know that I wanted to put my, I wanted people to know early on what kind of book this was. So I put Art of Drowning, which had surreal elements. I had, you know, the zombie story. I wanted people to know that this was a little bit 
this, you weren't going to get straight story. You were going to get some surrealism. You were going to get some zombies. Um, and, and I also, I wanted, I, I don't know. I wanted people to know that there would be sex in this collection. And so I added that pretty early on too. And then in the middle, it was more of the quieter stories, the ones that were more reflective. And then I wanted to end on that kind of stronger, you know, a, more energy. I ended the collection, mm. I think with more energy. So yeah. I was thinking of it like a mixtape. Oh, I love that. That's that's actually the best way to think about a collection. Um, so lastly, I got a couple more questions here, but let's talk about some things that you're experiencing now in terms of media, books, entertainment, something that has inspired you or or maybe gotten you on the right track again that, that fulfills your aesthetic in some way. Uh, what what kind of work are you enjoying that uh, that does that for you? Enjoying taking in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mrs. Davis. I mean, talk about having sex with Jesus. I mean, I was like, hey, that's in my book. I was like, I wrote that. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's uh, pretty freaking amazing. It's no, on Peacock. It's okay. about a nun who a nun who is battling AI to save the world. Oh and it's freaking phenomenal. And she's a badass nun. And I love it. And so oh, that's man. been really inspiring to me. Um, uh, is it called the bear or bear? The bear. The tension in this season was phenomenal, especially the one um, episode, the fork, mm. was pretty freaking incredible. It's like, how do you write ten tension? That's it. I've been listening to music that's sending me, so I'm getting all kinds of input, stimulation from hiking, seeing new places, travel. It's all coming in, mm. and I cannot wait to for all of that to get mixed up in my brain and on the page yeah i don't know what's going to happen but i'm excited about it so there's no tentative follow-up right now in terms of like mm -hmm. more short stories or things oh actually no now that i ask you you mentioned this on the other podcast um you're working on something really cool uh, it's I, I, it's the best thing I've ever done. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> that might be one of the coolest pitches that I that I heard. So I'm going to have you repeat that here if you could for for my own uh, uh, excitement here because it sounded really awesome. Well, it's called the Sky King, and it's a choose your own literary adventure that explores. You know, a meteor is coming down to Earth, and so you've got to choose which way you're going to go. And so it's exploring what happens to you after you die. And does your current life, does that impact where you go when you die or what happens to you when you die? So there's all these scenarios where you get different, maybe you get heaven, maybe you get hell, maybe there is no heaven, maybe there is no hell, maybe Satan himself gets gets reconciled to God. It's <laughs> phenomenal. I, I mean, I mean, in my head, I don't mean it's an amazing <laughs> book and you should buy it. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that right now, um, but it's phenomenal to work on is what I'm trying to say. You can hear my energy about oh, it. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. And, and, you know, I was so excited because I, I was like making dinner or something listening to that podcast and you said that and I was like, Oh my God, that sound that like checks all the boxes for me. There's like genre, <laughs> there's there's faith, there's there's all kinds of of really uh quirky, strange things. And choose your own adventure is is I mean, that's gotta be a challenging beast of a thing to try to navigate. So I'm I'm really excited for you to sort that out and, and try to, you know, form your your own thing there. I think it's gonna be phenomenal. And I can't wait to read it. I'll I'll just say that much. Thank you. Yeah. It it did just get um a semifinalist in the Ohio State. 
fiction competition. Oh, wonderful. So, wonderful. Yeah, so I got some, yeah, some feedback already. So that's amazing. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. So now that leaves us hoping for, you know, for the follow-up. So that's going to be wonderful. And uh, lastly, I just want to make sure that we can pass on a bit of guidance to folks who are just in the process of starting their creative journey. As an educator, you probably have a great perspective on this, or, or at least maybe some tried and true points of, of wisdom. What are some things that you wish you would have known when you first started uh, writing or things that have helped you along the way more than others? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson I learned is that I used to write and I would have a gut instinct that this wasn't quite the best that it could be. And I would think, oh, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've realized it's good enough is not good enough. You've got to hone every damn sentence. And then you have to look at every paragraph. Then you have to look at every chapter or story. Um, if you, you can't half-ass it. You can't. Maybe, you know, your first drafts, your second drafts, your third drafts, maybe. But by the time you're getting it to where you want to take it out, I think you just have to give it 100% your best. And then number two, you can't do that by yourself because you become blind to it. And you've got to find your people that are going to read your work, provide feedback, encouragement, even, you know, writing is such a solitary thing. We do it alone in our rooms. Uh, you know, you've got to get out there and meet your people. So those two things, don't settle for crap and find your people. I love it. And that is a <laughs> beautiful note to end on. But uh, Anna, this has been such a blast. Uh, I got to say, I, I'm truly a fan of your work. I think you, you manage that balance so remarkably that I'm definitely going to be reading this collection once again in the next, in the next little while. I just got to let it breathe. But I want to thank you for sharing these insights, for, for being so honest in your work and, and today, and for being a badass. This has been a wonderful time, and I really hope that we get to chat once you get the next one, because I, I think it's going to be wonderful. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for thank you so much for your time. Thank you for reading my work. That means so much to me. I really appreciate it. Wonderful questions as well. So oh, great to hear. Well, I will let you enjoy your Sunday, and uh, I'll be in touch on the internet real soon. Okay. Great, great. Thank you. <laughs> right, thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. bye.